We come together today with thankful hearts of praise to God. Good morning and welcome to Grace Church Roseville. May I remind you that at 6 o'clock tonight we conclude this Lord's Day together in worship in addition to music and testimonies which we will share. We will conclude tonight the message started last Sunday night on the supremacy of Jesus Christ from Ephesians chapter 1. We invite you to be back and urge you to be here as uh, a part of making a Sunday special in your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is Thanksgiving Sunday, and as a part of that, we are receiving a Thanksgiving offering. If you have an envelope set, there is a Thanksgiving envelope that you should be using. Uh, If you did not bring it or you don't have a Thanksgiving envelope, you may designate your gift by writing on it that it's for the Thanksgiving offering because that amount will be sent to the relief effort in El Salvador that we have talked a little bit about. There's more about it on the back of our newsletter today. I trust that we'll give generously and be able to help in a significant way those who are working with those who are disadvantaged in El Salvador because of the earthquake. We'd like to take a moment right now to welcome those who are visiting. If you are a guest today and don't normally come to Grace Church Roseville, we're glad you're here for this special Thanksgiving Sunday. Our ushers have a brochure about our ministry and a visitor's card we'd like to place into your hands. Would you be kind enough to lift your hand so we can see where you are, receive one of these, and then complete the card, the visitor's card that is, and put it in the offering plate when it's passed later in the service. Lift your hand right now, if you will, as they work their way back down the aisles. Be sure they get to see you. Thank you. The missionary prayer display will be removed tonight from the lobby, so if you have not yet had the opportunity or taken the opportunity to fill out one of these prayer forms, committing to pray for one of our missionaries, today's your last opportunity to do that so that we can notify them who their prayer supporters are in our fellowship. You have through tonight to take care of that detail. The two roses on the organ today are in honor of two Jennifers born this last week. One Jennifer to Mr. and Mrs. Mark Krause and another one to Mr. and Mrs. Brian Graves. We congratulate them on this joyful occasion in their lives. There will be a clothing collection on December the 6th. That's a Saturday to benefit our clothing closet ministry as a church. The details about that will be coming shortly, but I want you to be aware of it so that you can be looking at those articles that you no longer have use for and would like to share with somebody else. That will be on December the 6th. Church directories are available for those in our church, both members and attenders. They are available in the lobby. We encourage you to pick up one to the family. Uh, Please do remember that these directories are not for some commercial use, but are for the private use of our church. Next Sunday in the evening, we will have another of our fifth Sunday forums. We have not done this since last spring because the schedule simply didn't work out that we could. But what it is is a question-answer time during the evening service, and you have the opportunity to ask the questions regarding Bible doctrines, questions concerning the Christian life. If you have a question you'd like to ask the panel, and please remember this is not stump the panel, this is ask the panel, uh, feel free to write it out. You may even you want to use the back of your uh, worship folder this morning to write it, and then leave it by uh, placing it at the information desk when you leave. And that will give our panel some time to study up 
on the question that you'd like to ask. That's next Sunday night, the fifth Sunday forum. Let's prepare ourselves to worship, and as we prepare to observe the Lord's table in our worship this morning, let us remember Jesus. You know, he said that as we do this, to remember him. Let's do that together right now.
we remember our hearts reflecting upon that upper room 2,000 years ago where Jesus met with his disciples. And there they sang in the Jewish custom from the Psalms and partook of a meal together. Jesus then took two of those elements and from them established an ordinance for this age, which we call communion or the Lord's table. We remember him this morning on this day of thanksgiving, for he is God's indescribable gift for the salvation of our souls. The Lord Jesus, on that night in which he was betrayed, took bread and gave thanks for it. Let us give thanks, too, for the bread which represents his broken body for us. Let's bow together. Our Lord, as we contemplate that event so many hundreds of years ago, we recognize its relevance for us today, on this day in 1986. For that sacrifice of your body for sins, was for all time. We thank you that your body was broken for our sakes. And we receive today this bread with gratitude because of what it represents to us, your willingness to give yourself even to the death of the cross, that you might do the Father's will Lord, as we partake of it, we humble ourselves too. And we eat it with an attitude of being willing to do whatever the Father's will is for us. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body. It is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you sing with me? Sing alleluia to the Lord. Sing alleluia to the Lord. Sing alleluia, sing alleluia, sing alleluia to the Lord. 
And then he took the cup and gave thanks. Our Lord, we give thanks to you for your precious blood shed for the propitiation of sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Lord, as we partake of this cup this morning, may we remember that, that this blood has been shed for those who have yet to hear the story and impress upon our hearts the urgency of getting this glorious gospel to them, that they may hear and believe upon you. And as we partake, may we remember as well that we are a purchased people, that we are not our own, that we've been bought with a price. Amen. Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you please take your worship folder and look at the congregational reading. If you wish, you may put your cup on the floor. And then you can take it with you when we leave, and uh, we'll uh, dispose of them at that time. Let's read together as a congregation, as it instructs us, responsibly. We have welcomed Christ into our lives, and during the past weeks of the fall spiritual adventure, we have opened our homes to Jesus. We acknowledge his presence. We acknowledge his majesty. We recognize that he is above all and deserving of our worship. We are experiencing the joy of his abundance in our lives. We have recognized our tendency toward self-worship. We all have trials and have suffered. We rejoice through participation in the great joy that Christ brings to all of life. We celebrate Christ. The Lord is risen.
Indeed, thanks be to God. I'm glad to report this morning that uh, at the present time we have faith promises totaling 690,000. This week you'll be receiving a letter from our elders with a brief overview of our 1987 ministry plan budget. The figure is above that, and for several reasons, a couple of them. In the first place, our faith promises for next year are coming in about $100,000 under what our projected income is for this year. So we know that there are quite a number yet who have not participated in faith promise for one reason or another. So don't be surprised when you see the, the difference involved there. Be praying with us that God will give us faith to trust him for the opportunities that are before us. Next Sunday night after the evening service, there will be a detailed explanation of the ministry plan for the congregation. We encourage you to plan to stay for that. And then a week later on December 7th, after the evening service, a vote on it, along with a vote on the sale of the Lake Minerva property, which was donated to us three years ago and has now been sold, uh, or is in, has been, uh, uh, the, the, the price has been offered to us, and you have to vote to sell it. It has to be a congregation vote to do that, so it's not really sold yet until after you vote on December the 7th. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we have very much to give thanks for today, for the eternal salvation you have given to us freely through the awful price that you paid in the death of your Son. What kind of thanks can we give that is enough? So we give you ourselves as living sacrifices and pray that all of our days upon the earth we may walk with you in fellowship and bring your heart joy. And ask, too, that we may be a people filled with faith to believe you for great things. I pray that you will not allow us to be content with small things or things that are mediocre. But may we reach out for all that you enable us to do. Make us a people of faith so that like those of old, you may not be ashamed to be called our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 
Please join together in singing number 118. The text, I imagine, will be new to many of you. The hymn itself, the hymn tune, should be familiar. Number 118, we'll sing together all four stanzas. Please stand. text to most of us here this morning, and it speaks uh, very eloquently of the unbroken chain of generations that have known and served God upon the earth. We are one generation. Others have gone before us, and we dare not forget the greatness of their faith in trusting God and the importance of our preparing future generations to walk with him as well. Would you open your Bible with me, please, to the book of Hebrews, and we will look today in the 13th chapter. We conclude today the fall spiritual adventure. This is our eighth Sunday when we have focused on a particular theme related to Jesus Christ coming to stay in our homes as a guest. 
Today's theme is, The Guest Stays On. I suppose that all of us have joked at one time or another about a friend who came to stay for a little while and ended up staying a little bit too long. There's a Portuguese proverb that says, Visits always give pleasure, if not the coming, then the going. Benjamin Franklin stated it a little more plainly, though, when he said, Fish and visitors stink after three days. (laughs) Don't you like that? Such reaction may occasionally be true regarding a human guest, but never of our heavenly guest that we've been thinking about. Indeed, the joy and the sense of privilege that is ours because Christ is in our homes can be permanent, for indeed his stay is permanent. Please don't forget that he's there. Please don't take for granted the privilege of his abiding presence with you. Seek to build an increasing sense of wonder and appreciation that he has promised to stay. As he says at the end of the fifth verse in this chapter, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. What a wonderful decree from our royal guest. The sovereign, the king who has been staying with us says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Isn't that a blessed promise? Talk about something for which we can give thanks on this Thanksgiving Sunday. Think with me, if you will, about the consequences of such a promise. What are they? As we look at Hebrews chapter 13, we can number several of them. Because our guest has decreed what he has in verse 5, we can be content with what we have. Will you notice that that is actually the context of that verse? The first part of verse 5 says, Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said. Isn't that interesting? Because he has said this, we need not be characterized by love of money or selfishness of possessions. We cannot escape the teaching of our Christ and our King that we cannot serve or worship him and our material things at the same time. That puts us in our culture in a great dilemma because we are by nature materialists. We worship the things, the possessions, the money that we have. But our Jesus has said to us, you cannot worship that and worship me at the same time. Now the reason is that one will inevitably dominate us There is no compromise between the two. One or the other will be the dominator, the Lord of our life. That is why I think the ownership prayer has so effectively stated the petition from many of us. Indeed, the prayer that should arise from the heart of all of us when it says, Your Majesty, thank you for what you have entrusted to me to manage on your behalf. These possessions, these resources, these gifts are not mine, but yours. 
Give me the wisdom I need to make them available for the work of your kingdom. I am honored to be your subject. But someone asks, what if I'm treated unjustly? What if someone seizes or steals my earthly goods? Don't I have a right to be anxious about that? Well, verse 6 seems to answer the question. He says that we should be free from the love of money, being content because of what Jesus said, so that we can also confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? You say, well, a man can take my earthly goods. Someone may break into my home and steal my things while I'm at church. Therefore, I stay home. We worry about those things, don't we? We don't have to be afraid. The Lord's our helper. What is the worst that another human being can do to you or to me? The worst they could do is kill us. And all they've done then is liberate us to go to be with the Lord, which is far better. So because our king has decreed what he has, we need not fear what man might do to us. The Lord is our helper. We have to ask ourselves the question, what fills our thoughts more? Our desire for money? Our fear of losing the things we have? Our planning to increase it? Or how we might be able to get by on less? How we might invest more wisely in the Lord's work and send our treasures on ahead? How we can meet the genuine needs of others around us? Which describes the thought pattern of your life? To be content with what we possess is the greatest of all riches, isn't it? Again, our friend Benjamin Franklin put it this way, Contentment makes poor men rich. Discontentment makes rich men poor. Every person lives in one of two tents, either content or discontent. Which one do you live in? Contentment is found in declaring that God is the true owner of all that we have and that we ourselves are but the stewards. When we can come to that point, then we can be content. Our king has said, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. Therefore, we can be content with what we have. And what we have, we can invest in his work. Because he is permanently present with us, we can also show loving hospitality to others. By the way, you're going to notice that in Hebrews chapter 13, we have a remarkable summary of all of our false spiritual adventure. Because he is present with us, we can show loving hospitality to others, making it a priority to serve those who cannot repay us. Look at verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. This was one of the bonus disciplines that some of our church family accepted during these weeks of our adventure. They looked for special ways in which to serve the king, to share their abundance with those who could not in any means repay them. 
you know, recognizing our King's presence. We want to be as spontaneous and generous as He Himself is. Because He is here, we want to be selfless, because that is what characterizes Him. Jesus was selfless in His countless interruptions. Why, He even fed thousands of people without any preparation. He took time to talk and to touch those who were considered outcasts because of illness, sinful lifestyle, or discrimination. To them he showed his kindness. Our Lord wants to keep, out, keep reaching out to people too. Even though he's now bodily and gloriously in heaven, it is his desire to reach out through his present earthly body, you and me, to touch and to love people who are in need. Because he is permanently present in us, we should graciously show hospitality and loving kindness by our actions to others. Because he has promised never to leave, we can expect to see his working in our lives in unexpected ways. Look at the end of verse 2. He says, by this, that is by their hospitality, some have entertained angels without knowing it. You see, when angels appear, they don't come always dressed in shining robes. They certainly don't come flapping into your room with wings. Angels have the capacity to appear in a glorious form or in a merely human form. And what is said here in a rather amazing statement is that angels have been entertained by some of the believers in that early church. What is he talking about? Well, he tells us earlier in the first chapter of this book that angels are sent to minister to those who shall be the heirs of salvation. Who of you can know that you have not been ministered to by angels at some time in your life? When there was some stranger who intervened on your behalf, and perhaps you did not even notice the intervention, but it was there. Because our Lord has promised never to leave us, we can expect to continue seeing his working in our lives in ways that we might not expect. One of the disciplines we've talked about during these weeks is the God hunt. And the little phrase, I spy, has become commonly used amongst us. <clears throat> we have asked God to open our eyes that we might perceive his working. Do you recall the disciples in Luke 24 who said that their hearts burned, but they didn't know why until Jesus revealed himself to them, and then they understood. I pray that we might have this kind of heavenly heartburn, that we might see his hand working every day. And even though the adventure is over, officially, may the adventure go on as we notice our Lord's working in his daily involvement with us, in special encouragements he gives, in specific answers to prayer, in unusual timing that he brings together in our lives. And then I would hope that we would feel free to share these things, even as we have the opportunity to do tonight in the service. Because that will evidence <clears throat> to others that our God is alive and well and working 
in the world today. Number four, because his presence is abiding and he has said what he has, we can show proper respect for each other. Because he is here and abides with us, our words will be more carefully chosen because he is listening. He is evaluating our statements. The way those words and actions strike others is the way that he perceives them. Because we recognize his presence, proper respect will characterize us. There's a discipline we've used during these weeks called words of affirmation. We have sought with specific people to use our tongues as tools to build and not as weapons to destroy like we are so prone to do. Let's continue seeking to make our words sweet and cool water rather than bitter and salty poison. In Hebrews 13, there are several directions suggested for our respect. In verse 3, he tells us that we should remember the prisoners, those who are ill-treated, for Christ's sake. There should be a proper respect on our part for them who are suffering persecution for the sake of our Lord. We should show proper respect, he says in verse 4, for marriage. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. We should have proper respect for our marriage partners. And by extension, for our families, parents for children and children for parents. You see, this is all in the context of the Word of God in Hebrews 13, showing proper respect for each other. Then once more in verse 7, he says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. And again in verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And so we are to show proper respect towards spiritual leaders within the fellowship of our church. Because of his abiding presence, we can and should show proper respect for each other, for he is here. Therefore, discourtesy, thoughtlessness, rebellion, and harshness, why, these things would surely bring us embarrassment if we realize that Jesus was next to us. And in fact, he is. And fifthly, because Jesus is here, we can participate in public worship with a sense of its importance to our lives. Because Jesus Christ is literally in his body. That's why in verses 15 and 16 it says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. These would seem to tie together with what we looked at before in chapter 10 verses 24 and 25, when he says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That is, we are to stimulate each other in offering up these sacrifices to God. And he says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
The discipline of making Sunday special has meant something to a few of us. We have sought to include a special action in the week to show the Lord that Sunday is the high point of it all. Maybe it was being here on time. Maybe it was reading through the scriptures as you come in and sit down, the scripture that's going to be taught that morning. Maybe it was praying for the pastor or for other small church leaders or for the ushers or choir members before you came to church. But something was done, I trust, to show to the Lord that Sunday is, in fact, what he says it is, the high point of the week, that special day that, in some sense, corresponds to the Sabbath of the Old Testament, in that it's a day set apart to worship the Lord as a congregation of people, because he is here. Because he is here, we can come and participate gladly and willingly and enthusiastically in the public worship of our congregation. And finally, because our King will never forsake us, because he will never leave us, we can face crises without fear of personal collapse due to foundation failure. We talked about this last week. Crisis is a part of the life of every one of us. We're either going through one or there's one on either horizon, coming or going. It's a part of life. Not everything that happens is a crisis, but there are crises that we face. Because he is here, we can face those without fear. We need to make sure that the foundation is solid, though. And what did Jesus say makes a rock foundation? Is it just hearing? No. Is it hearing and appreciating? No. Is it hearing and quoting what he has to say? No. Is it hearing and admiring his teachings? No. It's hearing and what? Taking action. Hearing and doing what he tells us to do. That's why in Hebrews 13 we're warned in verse 9, Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. You see, that's a flood that comes against some. That's a crisis that approaches indeed many in this day in which we live when there are demonic doctrines that are floating everywhere. False and varied and strange teachings that come. He says, don't be carried away by them. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. He's talking there about the legalistic rules of Judaism, through which those who were thus occupied were not benefited. He's saying they were busy looking after all the rules, the legalistic things that had been set up regarding their diet. It didn't benefit them at all. They were carried away. They collapsed. But he says, let your heart be strengthened by grace. Then in verses 12 and 13, he tells us that Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. What gate is that? Well, the gate of Jerusalem. But symbolically, it means that he suffered outside of Judaism. He was rejected by the Jews, turned out by them. This is not our king. We reject him. And so outside the gate... He suffered. And it says, Hence let us go out to him outside the camp. 
bearing his reproach, the camp here being the camp of Judaism in the context of that day. Today I think we can say it in a number of ways, including this, we have to go outside the camp of popular religion and bear his reproach. There are some not willing to pass through that crisis for the sake of pleasing family, or pleasing those at work, or pleasing the community. They maintain ties with popular religion, unwilling to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. And their lives collapse. I don't know what crisis you may be under today. Maybe it's a religious crisis. Maybe it's one with a strange doctrine that's been introduced to you and you're not quite sure how to handle it. It may be a personal crisis of some loss or fear. It may be jealousy. It may be uncertain in your life. You don't know what is going on around you. Whatever it is, you need not fear that crisis because Jesus has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Let your heart be established with that grace. Through the last weeks, we have been daily disciplining ourselves, observing in Scripture a variety of different kinds of crises. And we've observed how people in the Scriptures handled them, or how we were told to handle them. And I hope that we've learned from that. That God allows crises to come to us for a purpose, but He doesn't leave us without a word as to what to do. It's here. And he's with us. And it is not his will that we collapse. So build a firm foundation. Now from these things that we've pointed out, do you see why we are privileged to have Christ stay on with us? While we've talked about inviting him into our homes for these days, he will be here to stay. He is the guest who stays on. And we can be glad about that because of the positive difference that he makes in our homes, in our lives because of it. Could I ask you to do something this week that I hope would be meaningful to you and would encourage somebody else? I want you to write two notes. The first one is to Jesus. You may want to keep it in your Bible or in your personal uh, diary. But write a note to Jesus telling him what the last few weeks have meant to you, honestly. And then thank him for the fact that he's staying on with you and for what reasons you're grateful. And then write a second note, if you would. I'd like you to address it to the chapel of the air, or if you wish to make it a person, to David Maines. In fact, if you have one of the adventure journals, there's a back page that you may have seen from this morning, which allows you to fill out the page that's right there. And then I'd like for you to mail that either directly to the chapel of the air or here to the church office, and we'll collect them. I would enjoy reading them, if you don't mind. And then we can send them in a bundle to them to let them know that we appreciate the fact that they've organized the adventure that we've been able to participate in. 
for we have cooperated with them in it. It's been our adventure, but on the other hand, they are the ones who provided the materials for us. And I think it would be appropriate for us at this Thanksgiving season to give thanks to whom it is due. But I wonder if right now you would be willing to bow your head with me and consider just what you want to say to Jesus. Would you do that? I would hope that he's not a visitor who has overstayed, that you don't feel it's time for him to leave because of discomfort. Would you right now in your heart say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for these last weeks of the spiritual discipline because of... Then name a couple of things to him right now, would you? And then would you say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're staying with me, never to leave or forsake me. And these are the reasons that I'm thankful for that. Name two or three of them for him right now. Talk to him. And then I wonder as you think through the past weeks if there's some area where you feel that you haven't been able to accomplish what you wanted spiritually. Would you like to say to the Lord that you're going to continue working in a specific area of your life and ask his help? Maybe it's one of the disciplines. Tell him about it right now and what your commitment to him is. would establish our hearts in grace. May this Thanksgiving season be a rich one for us as a congregation, rich because we recognize your presence and have the benefits that we've talked about this morning. May we be a people who serve you with gratitude, who worship you with gratitude, and who treat others differently with gratitude. Thank you for the sacrifice which you gave on our behalf at the cross. May the shadow of the cross 
lie across each one of us in our walk this week, that we might remember what you've done for us and be willing to take up our own cross and follow you. We pray this in your blessed and holy name. Amen. Thank you for being in worship with us this morning. God bless you.